This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. We always like to start off by saying that, you know, we know who you are, uh, but our audience may be new to your work. Um, But if you were to kind of give them that bio that your publicist doesn't have, what's not on your website, um, who are you? That's a really good question. Um, So who am I, the bio that's not on my website? I am a hardcore Luther Vandross fan. Um, hardcore. I am obsessed with anything that's on Netflix. Um, and I will, I, I, when I die, I may not have a lot of wealth, but I will have a lot of fabulous gowns that I think that is in a nutshell who I am in my spirit. That is one of the best bios I have ever heard. I love that. I love the uh, the fabulous gowns. is a perfect is a perfect kind of segue into passions. Where would you wear those gowns? Uh, where where do you wear those gowns? Well, <laughs> that's a really good question. I mean, right now it's been a lot in my house. You know, thanks to thanks to COVID um, and the Panasonic. Um, <laughs> in my dream, like where have I been recently wearing it? Like I've actually been starting to go out. So, you know, I will wear it at like a house music party. I will wear it to go to the grocery store. Um, I will wear it to go to a Luther Vandross tribute concert. You know, like those feel like the best places. Uh, And where does, uh, you know, I I have to assume then you grew up in a house of music. Um, So, and if not, then where does your Luther Vandross love come from? You know, I mean, I think, you know, I'm a Black queer woman. Um, I'm also a fat Black queer femme, right? And so seeing this, this man um, who in the early 80s, one has like the voice of an angel that's lived through some things, right? Um, and also is like so deeply passionate and so full of love and yet could not openly be himself, right? Could not openly be, you know, queer. Um, And yet in so many ways embodied queerness. I'm talking about the silks, the velvets. Like if you watch videos of like Luther Vandross's concerts, like they're always like fabulous and gilded to the nth degree. And so when I think about this practice of subversion and liberation, I think about Luther Vandross, you know, he's one of the people that I draw lessons from about what it means to live boldly, even when doing so could possibly mean um, risking, risking brutality, risking lethality, and eventually, honestly, risking death. Yes, that is a, that, that's a powerhouse of an answer. Um, And I think that, you know, that leads into kind of the passion, because there is, there is a, a, there's a poetry in that lifestyle, uh, that stage, that act, um, and there's a, a 
poetry and how, you know, in that voice. Um, so that's that's a nice kind of early ent in entryway into, you know, what is poetry beyond the written word as well. Um, mm -hmm. uh, with that said, what are the other passions that you have that may find their way into your poetry? That's a really good question. I would say probably there's like a two different passions, right, that are at the heart of my work. One is, is pleasure, right? I, um, I actually just wrote a poem a little while ago called um, Let the World Be Like My Pussy. Um, <laughs> and in it, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with it. I'm like, oh my God, I wrote this? Like, I'm my own fangirl, right? I think we need to be our own fans. You better be. You have to be, right? It's right? Yeah, but there's this line in there where I say, I can't believe I'm turning into this person that's quoting myself, but that's okay. You know, I'll live with that for right now. I say, why labor when our bodies are built for pleasure? And I'm, I've been thinking about that a lot, right? Like as we move through this moment of apocalypse, right, where we we are kind of seeing white supremacy lose like whatever little veneer of gentility it had you know, and this, this constant grinding force on like, no, go to work, even though there's like this really frightening mass disabling event that's happening, right? And like, even though we're constantly seeing black and brown bodies and trans and gender non-conforming folks um, be threatened. Um, and so, you know, I think reclaiming pleasure in the ways in which our bodies are built for pleasure, right? feels really, really important to me um, as an act of freedom. And also it just feels real good, right? Like, so, <laughs> why not? And I would say the other thing that feels really important to me in this moment is um, his storytelling, history telling, right? Um, and so for me, I think that particularly feels important you know, as a black queer woman, um, as like the daughter of Afro-Guyanese immigrants, like oftentimes I think what I experience is um, so often like my family has not told me stories, has not told me kind of like the things about where we come from, A, because maybe they don't know, right? Because like, you know, um, there's a reason why when you look at kind of like on slave ships, they don't have names of people because we were property. Right, so there's a lot of erasure there, and two, also this the, this thing around shame, right? Like, if if I name for you the ways in which we coped or managed to survive, kind of this really relentless and cruel racism and massage noir, it means acknowledging a that it happened, right, um, and b what what has its impact been on me and the people who've come after me. And so, you know, I think my work is to, to center that and to create our own canon, right? Like what is our family's canon? What is our family's history? Um, I just you gave you a very long answer, but Western, yes. The Western canon doesn't do it for you? Right, I know it's a shock. <laughs> I do love that idea. And I think one of, the, one of the cool things about talking to so many poets and writers has been that idea of creating that new, you know, what are what is that new canon going to look like? What are those books that actually tell the stories um, that that we you know should know, and that also we want to know because you know because of so much erasure mm -hmm. um, from the white Western European you know authors. Yeah. Uh, it's, 
you know, you don't get, you get one side of a story. You don't get a full, like a full scope. So that's, I love that. I think that's, a, I, I think that's beautiful. I love what you're trying to put out there. Thank um, you. Yeah. And I think that does obviously lend itself to your poetry. Um, you hear that in, in how you speak in the way that you want people to understand the stories. And I like that you kind of focus on that idea of storytelling. So when it comes to your poetry, uh, how do you devise a story? That is a really interesting question, huh? I, I, you said it, not me. You said everything <laughs> story. So we're just, you know, what is, a, how do you devise a story in poetry? It's, is, is there a plot to a, to a chapbook in a collection? You know, what do you uh, do? You know, I mean, I would say for, for Let the Dead In, there's like this overarching plot, right? Of like, I think in some ways, honestly, my own freedom story. Right. Um, and not just mine, but like the freedom story of my family, you know, so I um, am a survivor of child sexual abuse and um, domestic violence. And I think I spent a lot of time being really angry and hurt. Right. Um, and just and just full of rage. And also, I think, you know, so my family really struggled with me coming out. Right. They're like, wait, wait, you're not you're not going to marry a nice guy and he's lawyer. Like what? <laughs> and if you did, like what, what's happening here, right? And it was really painful for them. And I think that, you know, the, one of the things that happens when you're raised kind of like in American culture is you're taught that like narratives are flat as hell, right? Like the story is, it's like, if you struggle with me coming out, that means you don't love me and we're never gonna be good. Or if I've experienced abuse or if I've experienced harm, that means that the people who did it are just horrible people, right? And so what I want to name, and I want to be super clear about, because I think this sometimes even ends up getting flattened, is that abuse is wrong. It's, you know, and, it, and it's deeply painful. And when we just go into this act of like making everything black and white, we lose so much. And like shit is complicated, right? <laughs> like I, I can love, you know, you can cause me harm and I can still love you. Right? Um, it's about like, how is it we come to a place of healing and reckoning around that, right? Um, and so for me, when I think about the story of my book, it's about pushing against the flattening of these narratives and going more into like, what, what are the situations? What are the, the root causes of why domestic violence in some ways and abuse have flourished throughout my life, right? Um, and in and, and, and our family's own history and retelling. And, and what does it mean to kind of push and call for a new way of being and loving where none of us have to cut ourselves down to size to be in relationship with each other? Yeah, well, I think that's, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. It's, you know, it's a telling of who you are because of who you were, mm -hmm. uh, what you've been through. So yeah. I'm gonna steal that. I love that. <laughs> Please, please do. Um, when it comes to the actual putting pen to paper, uh, what is your, what's your process? Are you somebody who has a lot of superstitions? Do you have, you know, 15, uh, 15 candles lit in the background, a couple sticks of incense and a glass of tea? Or are you uh, someone who has a million tabs open on your notes app on your phone? Um, and whenever the fancy strikes, uh, you pull it out. What, uh, where do you get your inspiration and how do you put it on paper? nothing major I just put on my um my fur coat my beret and go and sit in like my and thinking shed. don't forget the gown 
the gown, the gown. Yes. Thank you. How could I forget? Um, no, I think on like the real tip, like I'll hear stories that arrest me. Like for some reason, like there's a lot of mermaids in my family history. Um, I have a few family members who, who said they were kidnapped by mermaids. Um, my grandmother, my great grandfather, my grandmother's father um, actually stopped drinking because he saw a mermaid. Right. And so when I hear these stories, like they, they stick in my head, like, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, wait, like, I need to like talk about that. Right. And so when it comes to writing, it's, it's, you know, I'll, you know, I'm not one of those poets who unfortunately, who for, unfortunately, that like can like sit and write in a journal. I always wish I could, I could be one of those people. It's just me and my laptop. And like, I just start thinking about that. Like, what would it have been like to be the mermaid that apparently kidnapped my family? Like, <laughs> You know? yeah yes mm -hmm. yeah so I think I think those are kind of like the that's how I always end up starting it's like with a central image or a story or even a line like even you know um you know I have a poem the very beginning poem and let the dead in where does the story start you know that was actually what I asked myself when I started thinking about putting together the collection of let the dead in like where does the story actually start for me What's your, uh, I've been really curious lately uh, about organizational process for putting things together. Um, I've been fascinated with people lately posting pictures of their walls, all their poems printed out on a wall. And I know my, my wife, Courtney, is, is like that with things. Everything needs to be physical and printed out because she needs to see it laid out how it's gonna be. Um, do you have a similar process to that or do you, because you have, a story in mind is it already kind of in that order um no i wish i cannot say the latter at all no absolutely <laughs> not uh, <laughs> i think for me what i tend to do is like there's always kind of this like initial moment of like oh shit okay i think i have enough poems for a collection um let me just throw everything together and then like that's kind of when i start looking like i actually um Jam Beatty was a professor of mine in college. And, you know, I remember one of the things that she always said is that the last line of your poem should be in communion with the title and the work in the next piece of work that follows it, right? Okay. Right? I mean, Jam Beatty just is deep in general. But <laughs> so it really is putting in transitional phrases to keep the reader going. I mean, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then like, I think for me, the other thing that comes up too, is like when I was putting together Let the Dead End, like I was without realizing it, like I, I think I created like kind of these thematic mini collections within the collection. And so like, I think my work was more about like, what feels like the right evolution, what feels like the right flow for the work. Okay. I like that. Um, what are some of the like roadblocks and obstacles you've run into over the course of your, you know, your now poetry career? Uh, what what are some of those roadblocks? Do you think that you've gotten through them, or are they still a part of you and a part of what makes you the author you are? Yeah, um, you know, I would say probably the biggest is my fear of mediocrity of not being good enough, right? Because um, honestly. 
I really struggled with putting out my first collection. Like I was just like, it's not good enough. It's not, no one's going to get it. It's bad. It's horrible. Like all of those, you know, I think the, the negative messages that we give ourselves. And I actually went to go and I was visiting with a friend of mine who is also a really brilliant poet. Her name is Jacqueline Trimble. Everyone should get her book, American Happiness. But she was like, Sada, what's good with your book? Like, what's going on? And I was like, well, I don't think it's good enough yet. Do you know this woman literally stopped her car, pulled to the side of the road, turned over to me and said in the sweetest, most Southern voice ever, you know, Saida, there's a lot of bad books out there. It's okay if yours is the next one. And I like, it <laughs> just, it just hit me, right? Like, yeah. How much was I not holding back or like not telling my stories because they didn't fit some imaginary standard that I couldn't even fully articulate myself? Well, right? it, kind of, it kind of pulls every ounce of ego out of everything. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are a lot of bad books out there. And if yours happens to be one, at least it got published. Um, like yeah. I, think that, I think that's kind of like one of the, one of the edits for like the poetry question has always been, you know, even if we don't love the book that we're reviewing, it was published for a reason. Mm -hmm. Somebody fell in love with this book. Um, you know, I think that's, and that's a good way to look at it is there's so many books out there. Yours is going to be one of them. Yeah. Like, you know, and it pulls, it pulls that, that like, yeah, I like that, that, it, that idea of mediocrity and what that means versus you've written a book, be proud of the fact that you've written a book that, Mahogany Brown in the conversation a few weeks ago um, was talking about how, you know, you have to make sure the, the work is worthy to yourself. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I think as long as you hit that, I thought that was one of the best ways to look at work. And I think you're in, the, in that same category. Like, it's okay to just say this book is a good book. Um, as long as you feel that the book is a good book. Yeah. And the work represents who you are in that moment in space. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, and I think the thing that like feels so real for me, right, is that I didn't write this book, you know, now, okay, like if the Pulitzer Prize Committee is like, let's give Sayed an award, you know, I'm not going to turn it down. I want to be very clear, you know, if anyone from the Pulitzer Committee is listening in. However, <laughs> And because of that, I will not just caption the phrase, I did not write this book. That won't be, <laughs> won't be the soundbite. <laughs> I appreciate that. But I, you know, like I, when I started writing at seven, I wrote to stay alive, right? I wrote for love. Um, now at 40, it's no different. You know, I, I didn't write to win an award. I didn't write to be compared to other folks. I wrote because I wanted to be in community with myself and learn how to love me and my people better. That's it. That's why I'm here. Yes, love that. And that, uh, that perfectly segues into the next question of who are the poets out there? Who inspire you? Who are the poets, you know, that really that you're excited to read? Um, and then what is coming from you that we should be excited about? Yeah, so I mean, there's so many amazing poets. Um, I'm really, really obsessed with Diamond Ford. Um, I talked talk with Diamond uh, on Saturday. So oh my God. Oh, yeah. Two days. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited about that 
conversation. That's going to be so much fun. It's going to be fabulous. Diamond's amazing. And her name is Diamond. How could Diamond not be amazing, right? But yeah, so, so Diamond Ford, Oriel Marie, um, Tara Betts, Terry Ellen Cross Davis, Kay Yolande Barrett, Angela Jackson, Audrey Lord, you know, Lucille Clifton. Like, I think I'm particularly interested in folks who, you know, are very much at their center, like are exploring and pushing the boundaries or the notions of how we find freedom through lyric, right? Um, and so I think all of those writers in like incredibly different and exciting and beautiful ways are doing yeah. that work. Yeah, I love that you go from Ariel Marie to Lucille Clifton. That's a, that's a, that's a huge, you know, feels like such a polar opposite, even though it's really, I mean, you're right, it's not. Mm -hmm. it's, they're power and expression type poets. And that's, that's amazing. Um, and then what can we find out there from you and what can we, uh, what's coming up next? Sure. So I'm currently in terms of my next collection, um, which always feels so surreal because I just came out with my first one. So I'm like now, you know, I'm, I'm, but you know what, I'm embracing this. I'm calling this my Luther phase, my Luther moment. Uh -huh. uh <laughs> gold. Let's do it. So I'm working on my next collection of poems, which will feature a whole series of brief sermons mm. um, because I've decided that um, as you know, I just turned 40. And so it's time for me to write and, and share the lessons of my life. <laughs> With others. You know, hey. Yes, yes, so, so there's that. And then also, um, I also came out with a chapbook right before um, my first collection called Stunt, which is a mythical reimagining of the life of Nellie Jackson, um, who was a madam, a black madam in Natchez, Mississippi for about 60 years and like gave money to the FBI. What, uh, no, sorry, not the FBI. Gave money to civil rights movements, was a spy for the FBI and the KKK. Um, and so I just did my first like dramatic reading with actresses for the National oh, School cool. of the Arts, right? It was amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And so we're planning a few more events um, and there'll be a few more readings that are in process right now um, for Let the Dead In as well as done in the coming months. Ah, that's fantastic. I'm so excited for you. Uh, you. Very, very excited to let our readers in on all of your secrets. Uh, so with that said, thank you so much for hanging out with me today on TPP20. And I very much look forward to what's to come. Thank you so much. This was awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Have a great one. And I will talk to you later. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ20. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.